Father, uh, we confess before you that uh, we like to divide the world up between good people and bad people. And, um, and so we're, we're confused about ourselves and confused about people and confused about your word. And we confess before you, Father, that um, some of the things that you want to give us in your word are things that we have absolutely no interest in. And um, so either, Father, we ignore these things or, Father, I, we, just, we just try to make them look like it's things we already want. Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise that you know how, how confused we are and still you love us and still you sent your son Jesus to die upon the cross to redeem us. We ask, Father, that uh, you would gently but deeply and powerfully pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning as we open your word and think about your word. We ask, Father, that Jesus would be present amongst us to open our minds to understand the scriptures. As your Holy Spirit falls upon us, may our hearts burn within us as your Son opens your word to each one of us and to us as a congregation. And this we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So I was... uh, (laughs) I was saying to Daniel before the service that I've had a hard time with this sermon this week. And uh, part of the reason I've had a hard time with this sermon, apart from the normal reasons I have hard times with sermons, is that the, the Bible here, the, the text that I'm uh, going to preach on today is something that basically nobody wants. Um, you know, if you listen to Christian radio, uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Vancouver, if you're serious radio or different parts of the country, it seems as if the church is addicted to encouragement. Uh, they, they like to say things in their advertisements of come to this radio station, it's a family radio station, it's a place of encouragement, and it's safe. And you never hear anybody saying, come and listen to this radio station because we're square, uh, or come listen to this radio station because we'll teach you and help you to fear God. And um, in fact, if you just think about it for a second, um, if, we were to, if we were to advertise with a big sign, you know, hoping to track people, and, and the sign said, come to us and we'll help you be square... Uh, that probably wouldn't be... A, I mean, we might, people might actually come out of curiosity about why you would have such an odd sermon title, but it's not actually much of a draw today, just as it would not be a, much of a draw to say, uh, come here and, and help, to, help to know to, how to fear the Lord. <laughs> and uh, and the, the Bible passage today is going to talk about the virtue of being square. Uh, at the 8 o'clock service this morning, um, there's just eight of us gathered 1662 Book of Common Prayer service, quiet meditative service. I love doing it. And uh, by coincidence this week, it was a bit of an older crowd. I think everybody there was older than me. And I said to them, you, you folks, some of you folks are old enough to remember when that to say something was square was a compliment. <laughs> but one of the things I could suggest is that some of you folks who are younger might ask some of us who are a bit older, older than me, by the way, um, do you, were you square? Uh, when you were young, or do you remember when actually to say that something was square, it was a good thing? Um, but it, it's hard to believe now. Our culture's changed so much that that would hardly ever be a compliment to say that somebody's a real square. <laughs> They're a square person. And that's what the Bible is going to talk about. It's going to encourage us about being square. It's going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And so I had a, I've been having a hard time thinking how I could get us to even want to be interested in a text like this. That's maybe why I prayed so hard that the Father would pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. But let's look at the Bible and uh, see how it is 
that uh, it encourages us to be square. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. That's what we're looking at today. Uh, We're beginning a series of sermons that will go through to Labor Day inclusive. Uh, Ancient, the book of Proverbs, ancient wisdom for a postmodern world. And so um, it's uh, my honor to sort of give you the, the opening to the book, the gateway to the book, uh, the introduction to the book, so that uh, when you read it, you won't read it with amnesia, and hopefully you have some type of skill and in understanding how to read and understand the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, uh, and here's how it goes. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, I'm going to do a really geeky thing here. Um, Proverbs, you know, this uh, it's a bit of a grammar moment, so I know as soon as I said a grammar moment, I've lost 90% of the crowd and 10% of you, your ears picked up because you thought, wow, I love grammar moments. And we all know who's who. So, uh, but there's a grammar moment here, and, and the book of Proverbs begins actually in a really geeky, technical, structured way that's not as obvious in the English. That verse one is a, a really, it gives you the, it tells you that what type of book you're going to read. It's going to be a book full of Proverbs. And it tells you, it actually, in, in a very sly way in the original language, it makes a bit of a pun, because the, in Hebrew, Proverbs and Solomon sound very, very similar. <laughs> and then it just, it, it, to give you a bit of a context, it helps you to say, it says, it's going to be a book of Proverbs, it's put together by Solomon, and, and Solomon is the king of Israel and the son of David. And, and for a person reading it, uh, they should be thinking, okay, this is going to be then something that implies the covenant and something that implies the coming of a Messiah someday. Uh, in other words, it, it implies that the, the readers are going to have thought of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and, and it, it promises made to David that there would be a, a great David's greater son will someday come to redeem. And that's all put together just in a tiny number of words. And then in the very, very next verse... In, if we were doing it nowadays, if we had a modern editor, if it was like being done by a newspaper, there'd be a big word in capital with maybe underline, the purpose of this book. And, and then the first line of verse 2 would be what's underneath it. That in, in the original language, that's what the writer has done. He, in, in these four, two, no wisdom and understanding, in those five words, the writer gives the purpose of the entire book. Anything you read later on, if you want to know why he's writing it, you just go back to verse 2a, and it'll tell you why he wrote the book. Why did he write the book? To know wisdom and instruction. In fact, actually, before we go any further, any further in my reading, Andrew, could you put up this, the scripture passages, the first, uh, at verse 2a? One of the things I'm going to do today is um, I really only have a two-point sermon. I'm going to have like a variety of things that go up on the screen, but really... I only have a two-point sermon, and the first point is verse 2a, and the second point, which I'll explain later on why it's important, is verse 7. And so I'm going to have you keep reading them points over and over and over, and by the end of the service, if nothing else, you'll have partially memorized the purpose of the book and sort of the main way to understand how 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 to read the book. And so could you just read this with me? To know wisdom and instruction. I caught you by surprise. Could you read it with me again? To know wisdom and instruction. And Andrew, could you put up verse 7 and read it, and we'll all read it together? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Andrew, could you put 2A back up again? Okay. 
So here's this odd verse, to know wisdom and instruction. And, and in English, it looks like, well, that's pretty simple. But it's, um, the, the first thing to understand about the word know is that uh, it doesn't mean uh, something like uh, know what LeBron James' uh, basketball statistics were this year or know how many goals Sidney Crosby scored in his uh, rookie season uh, or know the first five people drafted in the NHL draft the other day. It doesn't mean that type of knowledge, although it, it doesn't deny it, but it, it has a, a, big, a far bigger understanding of knowledge. It's saying, to hear, the word to know is to say, it's talking about experiential knowledge, and it's talking about relational knowledge, and it's talking about, which goes along with experiential and, and relational, it's talking about practical knowledge. So it's not talking about the type of knowledge that will allow you to win trivial pursuit. I don't know if people still play that game. It's not talking about that type of knowledge. It's, 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 it said the purpose of the book is if you read the book of Proverbs and you study it and you pray the book, what, we, what I hope you happen, I've written the entire book, I put the whole book together with the purpose that you will have an experiential relational knowledge of wisdom and instruction. That's why I've written the book. And, and what does the word wisdom mean? Well, wisdom translated in English here is a pretty good word, and we have a bit of an idea about it. But it, it also has some, some deeper meanings in, in what the writer is trying to get, about, get at. It, it includes skill. Skill in, leave, in living a good and moral life that will end up being fruitful. That's, what's the, that's at the heart of this word wisdom. So it wants you to know, have an experiential relational knowledge, and, and he wants you to have, the author and the editor and the put, how the book was put together, he wants you to end up being able, by reading the Proverbs, to end up having a life that's characterized by wisdom, which is a, characterized by a skill in living your life in a good way, living a good life that's fruitful. That's what, that's what he's trying to get across with wisdom. And, and then the final thing is, is you know, to know wisdom and instruction. So he's written the book, so you have an experiential, relational knowledge of, how to, of the skills required to live a life which is fruitful and good. And also for this word, instruction. And instruction's a pretty good word. If you have different translations of the Bible, it's translated different ways because it's sort of a very rich word in the original language. And, and part of, sometimes, some of your versions might say discipline, and that's a little bit about what it is. It's, it, it, what, what it isn't, just, just so you have a relief, about a year ago, uh, I think this is the last time my wife and I bought anything from Ikea, um, we were trying to get our house ready for a sale about a year ago, and so we tried to buy an Ikea bed, one of those beds that has, have drawers underneath the bed, because we thought it would help to deal you know, with some organizing issues. And so we bought this bed from Ikea, and of course Ikea has all these instructions, and, and we we both labored at this for an hour, and after an hour, we completely and utterly gave up. Either the instructions were wrong, or the pieces were wrong, or something, but it was completely and utterly impossible to follow the instructions and put the Ikea bed to, to, together. In fact, we actually weren't able, we just gave up, we were going to return it, but you couldn't even get the stupid pieces back in the box the way that it originally come from Ikea. So it meant that eventually the box is sort of like, like this with lots of tape around it to try to scrunch everything in and we returned it to Ikea and they were very good and gave us our money back. Uh, but it's not talking about instructions like this. It's talking about something more. It's talking about instructions. It's talking about 
what we need to know to have the, the, the habits or the discipline of, of a skilled and moral life. And it's also talking about training. Training. And, and, and let's be honest, for most of us, training is what is missing in the Christian life, which is one of the reasons the book of Proverbs is so important. I'll give you an example, because this is what happens to us most weeks. You know, let's say you know, we're going to pray more or something like that, or you're going to love God more. And, and I try to do my best to, to preach that and to make it clear and to exhort you and, 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 and try to get you all fired up. And I'm not very good at it. One of the, the wonderful things about Dan, uh, Daniel Gilman uh, is that he's way better than me at exhorting people. Okay, so maybe I would get you all primed, and then Daniel would come up and he'd, he'd top it, and we'd all feel like we're going to go out there and love God, and that one maybe nothing wrong with Daniel or me. It would maybe last half an hour or an hour, and then we're back to where we were before. It would be a little bit like if I said, we're all going to go out. As soon as this service is over, we're going to go out. We're going to run 10 kilometers. We're all going to do it together. We're going to do it in less than 50 minutes. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? because I'm trying to channel my inner, you know, exhorter, my, you know, football coach, soccer coach, and maybe I'm really good at it, and you get all fired up. Yes, we're going to go out there. We're going to run 10 kilometers. We're going to do it in less than 50 minutes. And I don't want to insult you, but maybe nobody here in the room could do it, right? No matter how much I exhort it. And in fact, many of you are so hip, not square, that you wouldn't even bother going out the door, because no amount of exhorting from the stage would, would make you even want to try to run 10 kilometers today in under 50 minutes, right? Just wouldn't happen. But often with spiritual things, and you know, this is probably one of the reasons why so many people prefer bars uh, to, um, to churches, because they just think, oh, they're just going to lay a whole pile of things on me. I get all fired up, all excited. Then I go out and I, complete, I fall on my face like this. But you know, if I was to say, you know what, and maybe my exhorting would be really good, I'd say, you know what, I think it's really possible that this time next year on Canada Day, you know, I think almost all of us here in the room could do 10 kilometers in 60 minutes. And, and, and we make a commitment that we're going to meet together every day. We're going to, you know, and we, we get the doctor's checkups and some of us start walking, some run, and we, we encourage each other and, and we train. We break down what would be required so that in a year's time we could do 10 kilometers in, in 60 minutes. Unless, you know, it's, it might be very possible that 95% of the room could do that. You see, the difference is training. Training. And that's, that's this instruction word. That's this instruction word. That's at the heart of it. It, It's it's connected to, if you can go on and and read it later on, there's a wonderful passage in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And in it, um, uh, John says, uh, How can you say that you love God whom you can't see, but you don't love your brother or sister who's beside you who you can see? Like, how, how is it that you think you can love, oh, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, and then you go out the door and, and you, 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 you know, the person doesn't let you in in the car and you yell and swear at him, and, and then your, your wife or your boyfriend or your best friend doesn't respect you and you're filled with resentment, and here you've gone from, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, to, to not, and that's what First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, and it's very true psychologically, isn't it? It's that uh, those of us who go to church should probably meditate upon that a lot more. And in a sense, then, what the book of Proverbs is saying is uh, we're going to help you with your training. Uh, and so what we're going to do, we're going to have Proverbs about, okay, how, how does a parent love the little? How does a parent love his kid? 
How do a husband and wife talk to each other? How do you relate with your boss? How do you, how, how do you relate to the government? How, how, do you, how do you speak the truth to another person? Like, let's give you little examples, Proverbs, that can be thought-provoking. Because the book of Proverbs isn't about laws and rules. It's about insights that help us to train so that we will have a skilled way of living life that's good and bears fruit. And that's the purpose of the book. Want to say it with me again? To know wisdom and instruction. I surprised you. We'll say it again. To know wisdom and instruction. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, you could go back. And so I put my first point up, Andrew. My first point. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to look through. I'm going to explain something else to you. But just to give you a bit of a sense. So remember, if you get, I, I, you know, these are long points. Some of you say, good grief, George. These are really, really long points. My point is verse 2 and my point 2a and my point is verse 7. You memorize those. Those are the points. These are just ways to hopefully, and if later on they're on the computer, you can look them up on our webpage. Maybe it'll help you understand a little bit about what verse 2a means. And this is a way to help us understand what verse 2a means, to sort of bring it out a bit. The Lord wants me to have an experiential, relational knowledge of the training, skills, and insight needed to lead a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made and sustained. That's, that's, God is showing the desire of his heart for you and me in this book. That's what verse 2a is trying to communicate. The Lord wants me to have an experiential, relational knowledge of the training and skills and insight needed to lead a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made and sustained. And, and, and so the way the book is written, remember I said there's a bit of a geeky moment? So that verse 1 is the geeky moment, the title, and it gives you a bit of a clue about how to understand that we need to understand the Messiah and the covenant and the law. And verse 2a uh, is to know wisdom and instruction. That's the main purpose. And then it, he teases it out by giving you a couple of other purpose statements to try to unpack that a little bit before we get into the book. So if you have your Bible still, in, and so in verse 2b, so 2a says to know wisdom and instruction, and to, then it says to understand words of insight. In other words, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to put together, these are words of insight. They help you to have a bit of an insight about what's going on with life and about yourself and how people are like. And, I, I, and that's, that's what's going to happen as I try to help you to know wisdom and instruction. And verse 3, I want to help you to receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and being a square, which is really what equity means here. In other words, part of the other purpose, okay, so what does to know wisdom and instruction mean? Well, it's going to also involve that I'm going to, I'm going to give you some instruction, training, and in how to deal wisely with people. And what that will mean is that as you listen to these Proverbs, as the Proverbs get into your mind and into your heart and into your will, and, and, and they're before your eyes, that you'll have a, what will mean, happen is that you're, you're going to have wise, a, a, a skilled way of living that's good. And, and what that means is that you're going to live a good life, a righteous life. And, and the word righteous there, that, I mean, they still have it. I don't know quite how, I think the NRC has something like this, but there's somewhere in Canada that has an official kilo or whatever. 
Back in the old days, there would have been maybe the king had the official weights. And uh, if you came to a merchant, in a sense, the hope would be that the the merchant's weights would be the same as the king's weights. If you put them on a scale, they'd be the same. They'd be righteous. It matches with the official standard. And and here the idea is that there is a, a God who's created and sustained all things and that there's a way of living that matches the standard, God. And, and just means justice, that what characterizes our life is that we are very fair. That as you read, as you come to the end of the book of Proverbs, you will not grow in cynicism and you will not grow in despair, but you will grow in a sense of how to treat people justly. Justice will matter to you more by the end of Proverbs than it will when you begin the book. And then there's this word square. You know what it used to be? That uh, you could say, what I want are three square meals a day. Uh, it might be that after you've gone uh, to make a, a deal with somebody, uh, and you come back and you talk to your friend, your dad, or your mom, or your, your wife, or your husband about it, you say it's a square deal. Uh, you know, you go and, and there's somebody who's going to give you some help, and you, you, there was a time when you would have said it's a square guy. I'm, I'm sure we can count on it. That when you maybe went uh, away to travel and you arrived where you wanted to travel, what you wanted to do is you wanted to be squared away. They were all compliments. (laughs) They were all compliments. Now we want to be hip and cool and not square. It's a, a big cultural shift, actually if you think about it, to lose that word square. And what it means is that it's just, it's fair, it's dependable, it's honest, it's sufficient, it's filling, it's what I need. It's, that's, this, that's what the word equity is. You read the book of Proverbs, by the time you're finished, you will be a square. That'll sell, right? I should have a Twitter account. By the time you finish reading the book of Proverbs, you will be a square. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what it's trying to co- communicate. And then in verse 4, this is really important. To give prudence to the simple knowledge of discretion and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Um, prudence here, it's a very, very good word. But what it means is that, um, what it means is that you will be, um, you'll be crafty. You will be, um, it's the opposite of gullible. It's the opposite of gullible. That, um, but it's, it's in other words that you will be shrewd about life. But you will be shrewd about life in a way that isn't cynical. You will be shrewd about life that doesn't feed your despair. You will be shrewd about life in a way that does not make you feel superior to other people. But if you read the book of Proverbs by the end, you will be less gullible than when you began. You will have a type of shrewdness about life that, you know what, if that salesman says, oh, I'm, I'm losing my shirt on this deal, I'm, I'm losing everything on this deal, if I tell the manager about this deal, she's going to stop the deal, he's probably lying. <laughs> like, I mean, that's how it is really, right? And, and so the end of this book, the book will help us to be shrewd about life without being cynical. And the simple here in this particular, and all the way through the book of Proverbs, the, book, the word simple is never a compliment. It means naive. It means gullible. It means easily led and easily misled until you become wise. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to abstain, uh, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. (laughs) 
So, put up, uh, Andrew, could you put up uh, the t- verse 2a again? You want to say it with me, folks? What's the book all about? To know wisdom and instruction. And we'll get to this in a moment. What's the key to understanding every proverb? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, for a variety of reasons, I was just able to watch Interstellar for the first time last night. And um, it was a very, very good movie. Um, and uh, it would be a really interesting movie to have you know, some discussions around, actually. Uh, but one of the things which was very, very interesting about the, the book Interstellar is it talks a lot about our fear of death. It talks a lot about our fear of extinction. It, uh, it talks a lot about the fear of, of the planet just going south and, uh, in terms of ecological disasters that could lead to the death of, of the human race and, and hence the, the fears of extinction. Yet at the same time, um, you know, our, our fear of death and our fear of extinction, what it leads us to do, but at the same time, it, um, it encourages lying. It encourages murder. I don't think I'm giving any spoiler alerts for those of you who haven't seen the movie. But it's a very, very, you know, it's a very, very puzzling thing, sort of maybe reflected upon in the movie, maybe unreflected upon the movie, that, um, you know, our fear of death and our fear of extinction and what it will lead us to try to do and what it leads us to try to accomplish, it, it seems almost in the, the book, the movie, it's sort of the movie's a bit ambiguous about it, but it, it leads to a, to murder, attempted murder, and lying, and lying appearing to be a wise type of thing. And it's a, it's a very, very curious thing about how these very powerful fears that human beings have, and we might not think we have a fear of death and what we would do to stay alive, but the movie tries to communicate what would happen to many of us if that actually became not an, an, an abstract thing, but a real thing and an imminent thing and what we might try to do to survive. And um, um, so in light of that, could you put up 2A again, Andrew? You want to say that with me? To know wisdom and instruction. That's the purpose of the book. And what's going to be the key in terms of understanding the book? Let's say it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And um, what we see is that um, um, in, our, in our church culture, uh, we have a terrible fear of talking about the fear of the Lord. It's a, a profoundly unpopular topic in our culture. In fact, for many people, uh, it would be, even to be brought up, it would be a sign of one of the things which is fundamentally wrong about the Christian faith. Um, but one of the things is, if you actually read the Old Testament, you see that it's hard, you can't read very far in the Old Testament where the fear of the Lord isn't actually presented as a positive thing that we should pray for, that we should desire. And many Christians will just quote First John chapter 4, a perfect love casts out fear. And therefore, that uh, Christians shouldn't be characterized by the fear of the Lord, but they, they should be characterized by perfect love. But a- apart from whatever that verse means, uh, C.S. Lewis says all sorts of things cast out the fear of the Lord, alcohol, sex, gambling, <laughs> money. 
Uh, it's a, but the, you can't read the New Testament. Do a word search and you'll see that in the New Testament as well, the fear of the Lord is considered a positive thing. In the book of Acts, one of the things that characterizes the growth of the church is at the same time as the church is growing by leaps and bounds, it's also growing in the fear of the Lord. That the New Testament has this idea here as a positive thing. Yet, as I said earlier, so-called, you know, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Christian radio would never advertise this as a selling point. It would never. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some places in Mississippi or Arkansas or something like that that advertise, we're not like those other Christian radio stations. Come here to listen to the fear of the Lord. Maybe that happens there. I just haven't been in Mississippi or Arkansas or someplace like that or North Dakota or something. And maybe there's some places on the prairies or someplace that us sophisticated people in Ottawa would think is the backwoods, <laughs> flyover country. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a, a real culture gap between passages like this and, 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 and the way the book of Proverbs is structured is that chap, verse 1 gives you the title, verse 2a gives you the purpose, and, and verse 7 here is the key to understanding every proverb. That's how it's set up at, at a literary structure. Andrew, could you put up my second point? The second point is that the fear of the Lord is the first steps, the foundation the North Star or true North and the ever-present factor in living a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made and sustains. That's the claim of the book of Proverbs. It's the claim of the book of Proverbs. That whether we're going to be reading later on, if you're going to be reading um, a proverb about uh, you know, husbands and wives or about uh, you know, moms and dads and their children or how to deal with a boss or how to deal with... Um, uh, how, to, how to be a witness or uh, how, to, how, to, how to deal with messengers or how to be prudent or how to help the poor or uh, any of the different proverbs. At a literary level, it's assuming that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That that's to be, that is, if we understand this, then this is like the very first step of, of, of entering into an experiential relational knowledge that involves skills. That this is not only a first step, but it's the foundation for everything else that we do. It's, it's not only that, but you know, maybe some of you have heard that one, of the re, that, that one of the things that like having virtue or values is that it helps you understand where true north is so that you can navigate the complexity of life. And, and, and the book of Proverbs is saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That that's that type of true north principle that helps us to understand how to read the different Proverbs. And, and that as well as that, 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 that's, uh, that verse 7 is um, it is an pr- ever-present factor in every one of the Proverbs so that we can live a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made. So, so what does it mean? Well, first of all, some of your translations have tr- probably translated fearing the Lord, but in the original language, it's two nouns. The fear of the Lord. It's, it's two nouns put together. In, the verb in the sentence is the is is sorry another grammar moment but that the verb is the is not the um, not the, it's not fearing and um, 
the word, the fear of the Lord, first of all, the word Lord is very significant. And you'll notice in my points that I've put them all in caps. And I did that on purpose. I know it's shouting nowadays. But it's, it's the, in, in the original language, it's the great I am. It is from Exodus 3, the God of the covenant. I am that I am has sent you. Perfect being. It is the God of the covenant. It is the God who desires to call to himself a people to be in relationship with It's not the other words for God that the Old Testament has. English really only has one word for God, but Hebrew had several words for God. It's not the abstract word for God. It's not a deist word for God of a God who is absent and distant and far off. It's not um, the the word for God that, that emphasizes just his power or his standing in judgment or sovereign over us. It is the intimate. It's both an exalted mysterious description of God, but it's an intimate, the intimate covenant name for God in the Old Testament. And, and the word fear has a range of meaning. And, and it captures a little bit about what's going on here in this, this word, the fear of the Lord, as, as a virtue, as a positive thing, as something that people, if they were wise, will want to enter into. And, and the range of meaning is, on one hand, it does mean abstract, uh, abject terror. That's one end of the range of meanings. But it, it also means respect, and it means reverence, and it means a willingness to listen and to submit. And it means gobsmacked, jaw-dropping, close, intimate adoration. And that includes that whole range of meaning. The type of being in the presence of the good, the true, and the beautiful that just cause your jaw to hit the ground. Either your hands to go to your side or your hands to go like this and to be caught up in complete and utter loving adoration. And the Hebrew word for fear captures that whole range. And at the very, very heart of this idea is that at the heart of the fear of the Lord is a profound experiential relational knowledge of the difference between you and God, which we're always confusing. Like we, we may not think about it much, but we, we, on one hand we see it all the time. We, we see a boss and we're worried about our boss because she thinks like, like she acts like she's God, Right? We have a kid in our family or a husband or a wife and they act like they're God. We, we have it, you know, it might be that there's a, you know, a, 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 a dad who I just finished reading a, a John Grisham novel, Grey Mountain, and uh, the, the heroine of the novel, one of the things which she wrestles with, apart from wrestling with the, the, the drama of the story, is that her dad was so completely and utterly consumed with himself and with his career, he was so consumed with that that it was as if he ignored his wife and family, his wife and daughter, and that they were just, in a sense, sucked up in his all-consuming concern with money and his own career. In other words, he'd lost a clear sense of the distinction between him and his wife and the distinction between him and his daughter and, and the need to, to relate to them, not as just some little part of himself, which is all part of, of, of his huge process to become rich and, and to become powerful, but that there there is a place where he begins and ends and the other person is a real person who has a beginning and an end and real boundaries and, and the daughter has real boundaries 
and, and, and we know that in families and in marriages and in schools and in workplaces and in governments, when you have a person who starts to treat other people as if they almost don't exist, they're just an epiphenomenon, just, they're just something that can get sucked up in their own project, that those are completely and utterly destructive. And the Bible says that that's the common human problem with every single human being in their relationship with God. That we are always blurring the distinctions between ourselves and God. That we lose sight of where we begin and end, and hence we don't even really know ourselves. And we lose sight of where God begins and ends, and we lose sight of the differences between the two of the things. It's one of the reasons why one of the great insights of the Bible is that the more we know God, the more we know ourselves. Because the more we know how we are different from God and where we, in fact, begin and end. And the fear of the Lord is all about coming into a relational, experiential novel, knowledge of the living God who desires to be in a covenant relationship with us, to be our sovereign and our king, our great deliverer, our great delight, our great protector. And it's called, it's been entering into a relationship with him where as we deepen in this relationship of the fear of the Lord, we will come to an ever greater knowledge of who we are, who I am and where I begin and end and where God is and how God is different and that difference is good and that difference sometimes will make me want to fall on my face in repentance for the things that I have done that are wrong. And sometimes I will want to stand with jaw-dropping, gob-smacked awe and wonder at the beauty of God. That the cry of our heart, that the end of it, the cry of my heart will be that my sole desire will be to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold His beauty. It's all encaptured in this phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's all encaptured in this phrase, the fear of the Lord, which is why to know Jesus doesn't mean that you stop fearing the Lord. <laughs> um, could you put it up 2A and two, put up 2A again for me, Andrew? Remember, I just really have two points. Let's say this together. To know wisdom and instruction. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. Say it with me again. To know wisdom and instruction. And what's going to help us understand every proverb? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now some of you might say, uh, okay George, are you saying that only Christians, only Christians are going to live a good life? and are going to be wise and have a skill of living? Ha! If that's what you're saying, you're on drugs. <laughs> have you seen the lives of lots of Christians? <laughs> George, be honest. Aren't there lots of Christians that if you had a choice between having some of your non-Christian neighbors or a Christian as your neighbor, you'd pick the non-Christian? Be honest. George, are you saying that this is what the book of Proverbs says, that only Christians are wise? Isn't that what sort of this text is implying? That this whole fear of the Lord thing that you just talked about and it's connected to wisdom and instruction and knowledge. Are you saying that, George? Well, there are many Christians who talk and act like that. And what happens is we end up having a religious or spiritual reading of the text, not a reading of the text that God intends. Andrew, could you put up my third point? 
The Bible teaches that every human being is divided and at war within themselves. You see, a religious or a spiritual person wants to take a text like this and divide the world. And on one hand, there is a division here. This is one of the many, many places in the Bible that says at the end of the end of the end, we either end up in heaven by grace or we end up in not heaven by our own deserving. And it's one of many, many texts that say at the end of the day, there's only two paths. But if we read this text to think that it divides congregations, that it divides churches, that it divides us from our neighbors, then we are reading it in a, in a way that does not fear the Lord. Ironically. The line between the fear of the Lord and fools does not separate people. It separates me. And it separates you. It goes right down the center of who you and I are. Every human being is at war and divided amongst themselves. This text is for self-awareness, not to divide nations and congregations and denominations and political parties and individual people. It describes the division and the battleground of every human being. Say 2A again. Put it up, Andrew. Let's say it. To know wisdom and instruction. That's the purpose of the book. And, and what's going to help us understand that? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the problem, you know, here's the thing. Um, the very common belief in our culture is that what we just need is that we just need to, to know what has to be done and then things will be fine. But the fact is that works for some of us sometimes a little bit, for, but for, for a lot of us it just doesn't work. You know, maybe it works for us all right with money, but it doesn't work with diet. Or maybe it works all right with us for relations, but it doesn't work with us for money. Or, you know, a whole range of things. And, and one of the things that happens is that, um, you know, many, many people is, uh, so we, we continue, though, to, to be almost addicted to this idea that all we need is more information, and once we have the information, we can do the things that we're supposed to do, yet empirical observation will tell us that that never happens, and, and that, that it rarely happens, that it never happens in any one person all of the time. And, and then the, the other thing that we start to do in our culture is that we start to try to, we, you know, we, we, we don't want to acknowledge that there's this great division that goes right down the center of who we are. So we want to say that we're a good person, that we're really a good person. And when we, we want to emphasize that we're a good person, then it's almost as if some other person does those bad things. It wasn't me. I'm a good person. I wasn't the one who swore at that person and called them names and slandered and gossiped about them. I'm a good person. It couldn't really have been me. And then one of the things that, that happens in our relationships is we, don't really ha- we can't really apologize because how can a good person apologize for what they really didn't do which was wrong? And there's a way of explaining all of the bad things we do. And that's what goes on in our culture because there's this... Inability to accept that verse 7 describes something that goes right down the center of us. This is a very, very long point. And I, I don't expect you to, to write, you know, and if you want to write it down, you can, you can, look, at it, you can look at it later. But, um, and, and remember, I'm writing this long talking thing down because I just want to get the idea out for you. 
But my two points this morning are 2a and verse 7. And if you go back and you know those verses, all all I'm trying to do here with this verse 7 is try to help you to understand what verse 7 is saying to us. Andrew, if you could put up my exceptionally long point four. Because of the Lord's common grace, every human being has some knowledge of and desire for the training, skills, and insight needed to live a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made and sustains. Because of common grace, because we're made in the image of God, and when we fell and rebelled against God, God did not remove his image from us. It got bent, but not removed. And that, that's why people can be wise about money. And some people who, uh, who are very far from God can be very wise about relationships. It's why some people who are very, very far from God, they can be absolutely spectacularly good neighbors. <laughs> Because it's not the case that we live our lives in complete and utter defiance against these things. Most people, there's some, it's part of common grace that there's some desire for skills and wisdom and living well and living justly and being square. However, it is also true that by nature, our fallen nature, some part of every human being despises the training, skills, and insight needed to live a good and fruitful life in the world that the Lord has made and sustains. See the richness of the Christian faith, the richness of this proverb? And some of you might be bothered by this word despises. Andrew, could you put up verse uh, 7 again? Let's read this together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, I, I, I sent my sermon notes to Bishop Charlie, and I said one of the things is about my two sermon points is that if people don't like them, they can take it up with God. And, um, and I had to put in my explanation this word despise. I don't want to let us off the hook. Sounds extreme, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Imagine that I um, came home and gave my... Or my wife gives me a gift, and that'd be more likely because... I'm more forgetful. And so my wife gives me a gift. And, um, you know, it's a book, a book that I want. And uh, I say, oh, thank you for the book. And then she, you know, she leaves and she's doing other things. And then she comes back. And over the next few days or weeks, she sees that the book is just left on the couch. (laughs) Well, might bother her a little bit. She knows I'm forgetful. Might not bother her very much. But now let's say that uh, unbeknownst to the press, it's kept a secret from the world, but Louise discovers that she actually is the owner of the Mona Mona Lisa painting. (laughs) And uh, and she decides to exercise her right of ownership over the Mona Lisa painting. And she has it taken out of the museum. And one day she says, George, I haven't wanted to tell you that this hasn't been released in the press, but this is the Mona Lisa. I own it, and I'm giving it to you as a gift. And I'd say, wow. And I'd put it on the couch. <laughs> Three weeks later, it's still on the couch. The grandkids have come to visit. <laughs> Every time the, the grandkids come to visit, you know, they're spilling things and spewing crackers and all that. You know, just, just little kids, right? They're not being mean. They're being three-year-olds and two-year-olds and toddlers. And Louise would say, George despises that gift. You see what it is? So what, 
if you think about it for a second, if God is actually, if the true and living God is the creator of all things and sustains all things, if he is actually speaking to us, if he is actually, in a sense, providing the power of salvation for all who believe in the death of his son, and we, we just put it on the couch, or we turn our back from it, or we think that's stupid, or we think that's foolish, then we're despising it. It's the context of the greatness of the gift that reveals whether we are despising. And that's why this is such a powerful verse to us. So some of you might say, okay, George, you know, you said earlier that left to your own devices, it's very, very hard to follow advice. So is this book of Proverbs just going to give me a whole pile of, like, George, is it going to be like, okay, George, you said that, you know, maybe most of us in the congregation, if we waited, if we tried really hard for a whole year, at the end of a year, we could do 10K in 60 minutes. George, there is no way <laughs> that I'm ever going to do 10K in 60 minutes. Maybe when I was 20 years younger, 30 years younger, maybe if the television and the couch weren't as popular in my life, or whatever it is, or my health problem, or my age, or whatever it is. Never gonna, George, the proverb's just going to give me a whole pile of other things that I can feel guilty about and that I, I just can't do and I just can't accomplish. Like, is that all that book of Proverbs is going to be? It's just, you know, it might be wise and it might, it might really be good. And I'm going to really try to read it and I'm going to really try to memorize it. I'm really going to try to live it, but is it just, is it just advice? Put up, put up verse 2 again. Let's say it together again. To know wisdom and instruction. That's my first point, what the book's all about. Purpose of the book. Second thing, let's read it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. A couple of months ago in my devotions, it was as if God really had a passage from Isaiah jump out at me. If you want to turn to it, those of you who have Bibles, if you don't have Bibles, you can listen to me while I read it. It's, it's Isaiah chapter 11. And um, in fact, actually it's been... Uh, part of my prayer life, actually, ever since I sort of stumbled upon it at the beginning of April, and not just stumbled upon it because I'd read it before, but it really spoke to me in some way. And, uh, and so it's part of my, uh, every day, I, I actually try to prayerfully meditate upon part of this verse because it really struck me. And, um, and it's, it's a, a passage in Isaiah that talks about the Messiah who's going to come. And this is how it goes. There shall come forth, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And that just jumped out me. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. And if his delight could be in the fear of the Lord, my delight could be in the fear of the Lord. And so I have been praying every day, Lord, take my heart so my sole desire is to delight in the fear of the Lord. Lord, take my heart so my sole desire is to delight in the fear of the Lord. Andrew, if you could put up the the fifth point. It is because by nature I cannot fully know the fear of the Lord that I need a Savior. I'm divided and I'm at war within myself. I need a Savior. I don't keep instructions very well, not well enough. 
It is because Jesus Christ delighted in the fear of the Lord that he died for me, and by grace he will walk with me into a skilled, trained, insightful fear of the Lord. You see, it's not only that Jesus paid the penalty of the fact that I am divided and that I don't fear the Lord and that there's many ways that I really mess up. It's, it, it, that it's, that's important, deeply, deeply important that because of that, Jesus dies on the cross to pay for the price of my sins, the price of my incompleteness. But I'm also clothed with his righteousness. In a sense, I am clothed with his perfect delighting in the fear of the Lord. I don't have to accomplish this completely and utterly by myself to measure up before he will receive me. I am clothed in the Lord's delighting in the fear of the Lord. That's what clothes me when I come onto a, to a faith in Jesus. And it means that I can pour out my heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to what you delighted in the fear of the Lord. And, and you, you died for me and you love me and you care for me. So Jesus, please walk with me. Help me. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Help me to delight in the fear of the Lord, just as you have delighted in the fear of the Lord. That's, that's the promise of the Scripture. It's a promise of the Scripture. It's why the book of Proverbs, when we read it, we, we don't have to just read it thinking that it's going to be completely and utterly up to us to accomplish it. But as we read this, we can say, oh, Lord, that's not the way I deal with my kids, or Lord, that's not the way I deal with my boss, or Lord, that's not the way I deal with my employees, or Lord, that's not the way I deal with my tongue. And, and, and on one hand, because of the fear of the Lord, we can, our, our conscience can be stricken that we need to repent. But at the same time, we can thank Jesus that he's paid for the price of that. We can, we can thank him that we're clothed with his delighting in the fear of the Lord. And we can pour out our heart to Jesus that this proverb would become real in us, that it would be part of our training in the fear of the Lord. It's the promise of the gospel. It's the promise as we read the book of Proverbs. Uh, Andrew, let's put up uh, to verse 2 again. We'll say it one more time. 2a. First point, what's the book all about, friends? To know wisdom and instruction. And what's going to help us read every proverb all the way through? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just as we're leaving, three things we can pray. The first thing is, I was really convicted by this. I have to pray, Lord... Help me to know the ways that I am a fool. Not be cynical, not filled with despair. In the comfort of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I can pray, Lord, help me to know the ways that I am a fool. And second thing, if you could put it up, Andrew, I can pray this, Lord, I am divided and at war within myself. Please be my Savior and my Lord, so that I will be free and whole in you. It's, it can be profoundly freeing to not have to put up a front, but we can say to God, Lord, I am so divided. Some days I want to be, I'm wishing, like I'm, I'm imagining that I'm LeBron James, and then I'm, I'm imagining that I'm like Mother Teresa, and then I'm imagining that I'm like I'm Billy Graham, and then I'm imagining that like I'm John Calvin, and then I'm imagining that I'm like Bill Gates, and then I'm imagining, you know, maybe I'm the only one who goes through completely and utterly unbelievably stupid combinations and I'm divided within myself and now I've just confessed it before all of you. But I suspect it's a more common, more common problem than we all, all are willing to acknowledge. 
because of Jesus, because of the fear of the Lord, because of the book of Proverbs, I encourage you to consider praying a prayer like that. It's also the prayer that you pray to enter into the Christian faith and to walk the Christian faith. And finally, if you could put up the final one, I encourage you to consider praying a prayer like this. Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit and grant me to walk with Jesus and grow in the fear of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if the Holy Spirit has convicted you, um, would you join with me in praying that prayer right now? Let's pray. Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit and grant me to walk with Jesus and grow in the fear of the Lord. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to read the book of Proverbs. Help us, Father, to accept that you desire that we will know wisdom and instruction. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and we ask that you grant us a deep fear of the Lord. And Father, you know how much each one of us are fools, and we despise wisdom and instruction. We ask, Father, that you bring that to us, make us aware of the ways that we are fools, that I am a fool. And Father, as you convict me of my foolishness, at the same time, turn my eyes to Jesus, who died for me, who clothes me with his delight in the fear of the Lord, that I might repent to you and love you and adore you and walk with Jesus. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.